If you're studying for the CISSP, CCSP, or CISM certification, you'll probably get a lot of benefit from the WANA Practice app at wanapractice.com. Hundreds of practice questions unavailable anywhere else, all in a simple interactive format, which you can access through any device with a browser. Check out the show notes for a discount code for half off the regular price. Wanna practice? Success and certification is in your hands. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And I'm Raphael Fiedler. And this week's corporate sponsor is CarMax. Started in a kitchen in 1937, for over 85 years, CarMax Lip Balm has been soothing smiles for millions of people worldwide. Now in over 60 countries, CarMax brings relief to everyone who uses it, in small doses and at a low price. From humble beginnings to worldwide acclaim, Try CarMax today and see why Karma Labs has sold over 1 billion jars since the product's inception. Thank you to CarMax. Um, I, I do have to say, your, your Wisconsin was coming out there. I thought you were saying CarMax, M-A-X, as in the, 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 the car uh, dealership. So I was surprised when you actually meant the lip balm. But uh, You do understand CarMax is made in Wisconsin. Yeah, but it's Carmex. That's what I said. No, you said Carmax. No, I said Carmex. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> My gosh. <laughs> well, good, 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 good for Car Carmex. And, and, for Carmax. and good for Carmax. Yeah. Carmax is very good to our family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. As we know, as we know, Robin works for Carmax, and uh, we we appreciate that wholeheartedly. All right. Um, this week, this week, uh, we talked last week, we, we, I, I went off on a mini rant about fear-based marketing and why it's so bad for our industry and why it's so bad for the consumers and, uh, actually the providers. I want to, I want to go on a similar tangent to start this week about, um, ignorance-based marketing. And I'll give you the anecdotal example, uh, which led me to this topic. Um, I, I know an older person who uh, uses email for business purposes. This is not my father. I have to stress, <laughs> That's exactly stress where I went. that right now. Um, this is, this is a, a person uh, who has a small business, uh, which is basically him. He's the small business. And he uses email for those business purposes almost exclusively. Uh, it facilitates all of his business activity. He could theoretically use uh, postal service or telephone, but it would not be scalable at all. Um, last week, he got in touch with me because he was having trouble where he was uh, getting a bunch of bounce notifications on business emails he was sending, and he asked me for some input. And um, he, he also the emails weren't going through, so it wasn't just the bounce and uh, still transmission; it was total closure. And we looked into it a bit, and sure enough. Uh, he had been added to a spam list, Microsoft spam list. Mm. So we called up his provider, which I may name here shortly because I'm so disgusted with them. Um, his provider tech support was very pleasant, 
they were they were very nice and they pointed out that the reason his email had been flagged uh by microsoft was that he had sent fifteen thousand spam emails last month yikes that's <laughs> <laughs> not uh, insignificant that's <laughs> it's a little bit more than he usually does. Um, so, so let me let me ask you guys both first. When you hear that, because I was on the phone too with the tech support guy on a three way call, just listening in. What would be your first reaction or your first question based on that new knowledge? Well, the first thing I would ask is, did you actually send that, those? Because <laughs> if, if he did, then okay, we need to have a talk about uh, appropriate use of email. <laughs> well, he he didn't. I mean, there's okay. no way he could. He wouldn't know how okay. to send okay. fifteen. I mean, that that was established early on. Um, okay. okay. What would be your question though to um, the tech support person or learning more about the situation? I'll tell you my first reaction. Is this someone spoofing? his email address, or was it someone accessing his email and actually launching them? Because those are two right, separate right. creatures, right? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, that would, and and just as a point of, of housekeeping, what was the ISP also where his email account was hosted? Correct. But yeah. uh, okay. not, not, the, not the ISP, his, his web host. So he's got, okay. he's got a domain. Okay. And okay. He's got his email with his with his okay. domain. Okay. You know, as most of us, as a lot of us do, as a lot but, of us do, right? But like, I would not like. Maybe, maybe I'm missing something here. But I would not have thought like, why would they know? I mean, fifteen thousand is probably not the exact number. But why would they know how much, how many emails have been sent if it was a spoofing? Be then they would not have known because it wasn't spoofing. It was yeah. actually originating from his account yeah what um, i would have been asking them is was it done through the web why haven't they not alerted him like was it an account hijack or was it a, a device hijack that would be i love you rafti i love yes <laughs> that's that's the first logical question is yeah. is okay so let's say this happened and someone did get fraudulent access let's say they captured his credentials for one of a hundred reasons i'm sure you know he does not have good security <laughs> discipline and i'm sure he does password reuse and i'm sure he shared the credentials i can see someone getting unauthorized access that is a predictable outcome of web-based email right especially for older small business owners why the fuck did they not see an escalation from maybe 200 emails a month to 15,000, right? <laughs> that or a different origin. I, I must assume that typically this is not the same country or at least not the same state. So when uh, the elevated email out is something they would recognize, and I agree, they should at least check where the last logins have been from. Like... I get an email from so many services when I log in from a different country, which of course, like through the service that my company provides us all the time. But then at least I double check, like, is it the same device or is it the same, like, is it from the time frame something? Has this been me? You know? I get I get emails from certain email providers if I log in from a different machine in my same house. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean I mean New York, this, you log in email. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
this is not rocket science. This is <laughs> this is basic email hosting, right? Yeah. I mean, th this should be part of the service. Plus, it behooves them as an email provider to throttle that shit whenever they see it popping up because it, it reflects poorly on them as a domain host as well, right? <laughs> they they don't want to be on on Microsoft's bad list, right? No. Um so I was I was really chagrined that they let it get to that point. You know, maybe someone has a really good month in in sales. Maybe your business really takes off. Maybe you go from 200 to 1000 emails, you know? Maybe. You don't go from 200 to 15,000 and that should be an automated behavioral based response, right? At least query the user mm -hmm. at your very basic level, even before you turn it off and start blocking the shit automatically. Especially like if they have like people on staff anyway, who, like tech support. So they have that capability because some companies just don't have a call center or anything like then at least like call them, reach out or send an or automated email. Was this you? I mean, if they if the email account is compromised, an automated email, I don't know, but like maybe to a backup email address or something. Yes, of course. Why sure. not? Sure. Absolutely. 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 And, you know, to piggyback on last week's episode, this is a perfect use of the security operations center, the SOC, <laughs> right? It's the sort of thing they should be monitoring. And again, this detection and analysis is not sophisticated. This is not an APT. This is something, if one of your outbound accounts has a huge spike in traffic, that's an easy low-hanging fruit to detect, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was asking the tech about this, and he says, well, that's a service we do offer with our email security package. <laughs> Oh, so it's a value-added upgrade for an additional monthly fee. Can you guess how much the monthly fee is? I mean, what would you think is reasonable? It depends what? on how much the the email costs in the first place. That's a that's a really good point. Okay, that's, that's a good yeah. point. Okay, um, and I'm not exactly sure, but I think it's not an insignificant amount. I I think it's not quite a thousand dollars a year, but I think it's okay. probably more than a hundred dollars a year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because like you can get a Microsoft Office 365 email account for for as little as two dollars and fifty cents a month. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So, uh, and I think I have my personal email that I've had for almost thirty years. I pay about ten dollars a month for it. So, so the value added upgraded package, I would say, shouldn't be more than the account itself. So double, you know, whatever. So if it's ten dollars a month. You know, it's it now is a twenty dollar a month. Okay, and if that were the case, I would have recommended to this older person go ahead, bite the bullet, pay the fee. Mm -hmm. They want sixty dollars a month for what? what? <laughs> no, just for doing it for doing their fucking job as an email host. <laughs> no, but is it only email for sixty dollars per month? If anybody's paying for this, dollars a month, oh not for email. For, for email security. security. I know, I know, I know, but maybe it's more than email security. And isn't there? Sure, maybe, if they I come over to my house once a month and wash my car and mow my lawn, then <laughs> I would pay $60 a month. No, uh, but I don't know. Like, is there a VPN included? Is there some office suite protection stuff included? I don't is know. Is there? Is there? Those are easy any, upsells. Does he need any of that shit? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not saying, but typically, like, it's those bundle thingamajigs. But I can just imagine. But, like, but let's, let's say all that is in there. 
he doesn't need any of that. What he needs is yeah. his email to work and not to allow spammers to use as his outbound on a regular basis. Okay, so my just so that I said this as well, I thought when you were saying how much is this can this cost, I thought five dollars is a lot. Right. Yes. Yeah, five dollars. Two fifty, three dollars is is like I and I would feel like they would like steal from me. And and five dollars is what I pay for my email hosting, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I pay a little more, but yes, I, but I have you, the calendar. Right, right. I have a terabyte of cloud storage, you know. <laughs> so so now let's let's predict that I was not on the phone with him. Mm -hmm. What this email said yes. host, what's that? No. What he said? Of course he would. Of course. Yeah. It's his small business. He doesn't have any he doesn't have any knowledge of what these things should cost. He has no appreciable knowledge there. And what they're doing, what they're really doing is they're using the attack as a marketing vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason they're doing it is because their email service is not priced for profitability. It's priced for signing people up. Mm -hmm. That to me is so despicable. And, mm -hmm. and it's, preying on, it, it's preying on a demographic who does not have the wherewithal to defend themselves because he has no knowledge and he needs it for his business. Yeah, I, I, I find that really reprehensible. And now I'll go ahead and name them because I'm so pissed off. This was GoDaddy. Oh, oh yeah. that all makes sense now. <laughs> <laughs> Having interacted with GoDaddy for decades, yes, I am not surprised at all. So before I tell you what my recommendation to him is going to be, uh, oh, by the way, the reason I bring it up now, not only because it pissed me off last week, it reoccurred yesterday. Oh, boy. Wait, what? Me, with his email, meaning uh, there were more uh, Spam blocks. Spam mails? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, what? Okay, yeah. so they have not... Oh, crap. And he went through and tore down all of his access credentials from all of his devices. So however they're getting in, however the compromise is happening, it's somehow external. And it's not just that they acquired his credentials through some list that exists out there on the dark web, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, so so before I tell you what my recommendation to him is, I want to hear what your recommendations would be to him at, from a consulting standpoint in this same situation. Uh, Matt, you do the consulting. What would you tell mm -hmm. him? Oh, I would have him set up on an Office 365 account, move his domain, set up a tenant, and have, I mean, for 60 bucks a month, he could have the full Microsoft suite of every software that they have. <laughs> all the security and everything like that. So yeah, for a fraction of that, again, like I said earlier, 250 a month, you know, up to maybe $10 if we turned on all the bells and whistles. Yeah, I, I, I would move them off of GoDaddy, post haste. Rafti? Yeah, move off of GoDaddy, absolutely. Same same situation. I would ask for his needs um, and I would probably like move not to Microsoft because it's not privacy oh, respecting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is stuff I care about. So my recommendation would probably be mailbox.org because they run open, ex uh, like their stuff is op uh, open exchange. So without knowing anything about him, probably a good fit. And they're fairly cheap as well and have good security. I don't like, like from user perspective, I have some couple of other recommendations, but it depends on what the needs are. That's awesome. I agree with both of you. That is exactly what I've advised him to do. Now, the only reluctance I have is I don't have the bandwidth right now to go ahead and do the move for him. And I don't think that he has any technical competence whatsoever. Um, mm. So I'm kind of thinking Microsoft 
for all your reservations, Rafti, I think they will make it simple. Uh, I think they might even have phone support to step him through it to help him do the transition. Um, if you have any other suggestions for other email hosts, I'm very welcome to hear them. Um, but I got to get them to a new provider. It just yeah. it seems it seems awful what they're doing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a whole. Obviously, there's there, there's probably hundreds of email hosts out there. He can go to a lot of different places. I know Rafi has the privacy concerns with Microsoft, uh, but from a from a security standpoint and not a privacy standpoint, Microsoft will make your email work. Yes. <laughs> now, now, will they be reading it on the back end? Yeah, of course. So will Gmail, <laughs> but but who uh, won't? I mean, yeah, realistically, exactly. you yeah. know, uh, and. Uh, yeah, I, I I think that is an acceptable level of risk for him. I don't think his exposure is it, it, yeah. so what? So Microsoft Microsoft knows his business. Big deal, you know. Right. I mean, that's, yeah, um, yeah. But I, you, I agree. With you. Yeah, lots of other options as well. So, but uh, yeah, either way, yeah, you got to get away from GoDaddy, especially if they're acting like that, and especially if they're trying to do the upsell. The 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 we we have the term in security FUD F U D, uh, Foxtrot Oscar Delta. Uh, stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Uh, Foxtrot. Oscar? Is it Oscar? Not Oscar. Oscar's O. Uniform. Oh, oh yeah, Foxtrot Uniform. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I was doing FOD for <laughs> object damage. <laughs> yeah, Matt flies planes. Um, and FOD <laughs> is the thing for aircraft, but FUD, yeah. <laughs> yeah, FOD, FUD, sorry. Fear, okay. uncertainty, and doubt. Yes, yeah. And, and leveraging that to sell, as we talked about last week, as I'm talking about this week, that is unconscionable. I, I find it really awful, and I think it makes all of us look bad when that shit happens. Security yes. should be part of the package that you're selling for the initial product. It shouldn't have to be something that you pay extra for. Yeah. Maybe then yeah, to get on the record for anybody who has who's looking for a new email hoster, my recommendation for private email still would be ProtonMail. Um, ProtonMail. I love Proton Mail. I, yeah. I love the Swiss approach. I love that they're in a under a fucking mountain. I think that's great. I just think it's going to be a little bit more sophisticated in terms of setup um, yeah. for him. Especially and because don't, they don't, you cannot them. like plug in your Outlook or something and have Correct. Outlook basically do the move for you. Because Correct. this is what what I would recommend, and this is the reason why I said Mailbox. They're based in Germany as well and have security written all over it. I don't like their user setup. It's it's open exchange. If you like I, I used to self-host open exchange. I hate it. <laughs> and, and and again, he's gonna need 24-7 phone support. Even if he had to pay per minute for that, I'm not mm -hmm. sure Proton Mail does that. And and Proton no, Mail's and Proton Mail's whole approach is hands off. I mean, they don't want to know about your usage. They don't want to step you through anything for good reason. And I like them for that purpose, but not for this purpose. Um, so, so nothing against Proton Mail, except in this business case, it's not going to work. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I, I appreciate that. And I'm glad I was on the right track too. Because I, I kept, I'm sitting there on the phone going, am I the asshole here? I, I don't think so. Well, now, to be fair, the answer to that is almost always yes. Always yes. yes. <laughs> but. But, and. Were you being so helpful? Good. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you need a paid asshole. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. Um, 
I don't mean, again, to get into too morbid of topics on here. I know we've kind of done that, but um, it, it's something that recent episodes have kind of brought into my personal life, and I wanted to leverage it on some of the knowledge that we've acquired uh, during this pursuit. Uh, we talked recently about loved ones dying, and we talked about uh, the difficulty of extricating legally um, all the finances, all the property, all of the, the difficulty in, in approaching those things. And how death is something that we all know is going to happen, but we rarely plan for it appropriately to, to ease that process. One of the things um, Robin and I were doing in our estate planning was accounting for the safety and well-being of our pets, because we don't have children, but we do have pets. And we ran into something very interesting. We ran into the situation of what happens if Robin and I are traveling together away from the home and we both die at the same time or are incapacitated if we're just in comas. Who's going to take care of the animals? Who's even going to know that we have animals to go take care of? And this got me going down the rabbit trail of how notification works in these situations, because I had some TV based, you know, knowledge <laughs> of what might occur, but I had no uh, concept of what reality was. Um, so we reached out to uh, an ER nurse and uh, a police captain that we know in order to get at least their anecdotal knowledge of their end of the process. And so here's, here's my understanding of how this goes. And, and I'll tell you, the reason why we were so concerned is if we had children, if, if the children were at home alone, they'd at least be of an age and have access to a cell phone. They could communicate. They could go to a neighbor and knock on a door. The pets are stranded at home until we return. So there's going to be a time delay there. Uh, and what we found is uh, at the scene of the accident, the police are going to respond along with an ambulance or whatever first responders are necessary. They're immediately going to collect any identifying material. This all makes sense so far, right? Mm -hmm. uh, most of us have wallets. Most of us have identification in the wallets. Most of us have a cell phone, a mobile phone with some uh, information on it. Now, here's where it gets a little bit complicated. Um, we live in a very swampy area and depending on the violence uh involved in an automobile accident uh our wallets and cell phone could be at the bottom of a swamp somewhere if our car goes off the road um, or it, you know we talked about a plane crash earlier there's a lot of um uh, uncertainty here as to the the location of your identity and um i found out from the police officer that um, not only will they they try to get the low-hanging fruit of the ID in the wallet and the, the phone itself, but they'll go further. They will do fingerprinting. They will use various databases that they have access to, including uh, the NCIC database, uh, as well as others, military database and so forth, um, to try to establish some con uh, connection to your biometrics to those uh, identifications. Also, now I live in a small town and we don't have a huge police department or presence, but I was amazed to learn that they will use forensic tools 
on your electronics to try to reveal some data about you. And evidently, because that's exigent circumstance, you know, you have either someone in a coma or a dead body lying there, they don't need a warrant or a search and seizure notice to go into your phone and, and look for those things. There is a rational reason for them to go and do that without going to the court, um, which is interesting. I found that fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, the If you arrive at the hospital without the police interacting with you up to that point, at the ER, one of their first notifications is call law enforcement because if it's a Jane Doe, John Doe situation, they do have to establish uh, identity. And they also have a huge checklist of different notifications that they go through. Most hospitals will have um, what they call a, um, a, a clergy person. And this is not always someone who's actually ordained in any particular religion. It is someone whose job it is to perform these actions. Um, and uh, among other things that they do within the hospital as part of their duties. And they have a checklist of who they notify and who they contact first to establish identity. And once identity has been established, that they will reach out to whoever it is that's listed for that person. Now, the police, once they've established the identity, now have to do something with that identity. Great. I know who you are. Where do we go from here? They will first send an officer to the home. And they'll knock on the door. For my pets, this doesn't really provide any comfort. <laughs> because they can't answer the door, nor can the, the knowledge of our demise be communicated to them in any meaningful way. <laughs> yeah. If there's no response and concurrent with the notification at the home, this was the reassuring part of the process to me for my particular situation. They will go to the neighbors immediately around your domicile and make notifications or inquiries with them. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful part about that uh, for us is that um, we've established with our neighbors, they know how to take care of our pets. Our pets are familiar with them. They've been in their homes. They will take, and they do have access to our property as well. They will go and take the pets. And I asked the police, would this be something that you would allow the neighbors to do and the police said yeah that actually takes a headache off of us because if we're not going to break in on the first time we visit your house mm -hmm. we might break in on the second or third and then we're going to find the pets there and when we find the pets there then we have to call animal control for the them to come and get the pets yep and the downside to that is unlike children Animal control may eventually put the pets to sleep if they can't find someone to take care of the pets. So, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the police actually said, no, no, no. We're really glad if a neighbor comes and takes the pets. That's one thing off our checklist that we don't have to worry about. Yep. So, so again, as I, as I just kind of alluded to, if they don't get a response at the house of the first call, they will wait a certain period of time based on circumstances, and they will try again. They won't just break into the house immediately because they don't know the situation. And they do have a respect for your rights and your privacy. Um, on subsequent visits, if it seems that there is no response, they will gain entry however they have to. Um, and uh, from that point, then a new set of checklist starts and everything has a process and it's all mapped out. 
Yeah. I felt extremely reassured by this because I really didn't understand how this works. And most of us don't deal with it on any kind of regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess the, 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 the good thing to know is that there are processes and procedures and they are very mature and they've been used effectively for a very long time. So, yeah, I don't think that there's a lot that you have to worry about other than the fact that if you, and uh, you know, and and Robin disappear, and your neighbors choose not to speak to law enforcement. <laughs> that that your pets may meet an untimely demise at the end of a, a needle. <laughs> but and, and that was that was really our big concern because the people we've already arranged for people we trust to take possession of the pets if we're gone. Yeah. Um. But those people are out of state. It's going to take a day or two or three for right. them to get here. And in the meantime, we have gone to our neighbors. We've discussed this with them in detail. I'm going to give them written instructions as well, along with the contact information of the people who are going to take possession of the pets so that we have a process in place that has been tested and has uh, been validated. We don't want to leave this to chance. And the reason I'm bringing this up again is, is one, reassurance to those who, who may be in similar situation. Two, you need to participate in this process. You need right. to talk to the neighbors. You need to talk. You need to decide who's going to take the animals or, in fact, the children <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> in the event that, yeah, yeah. Um, you need to do this, and you need to do it now. You, you don't want to wait and say, oh, I'll get around to it. Because that's uh, that's a recipe for disaster, and you don't really know um, when something untoward will occur. So get on that. Get on. That. Yep. Make friends. Meet your neighbors. <laughs> even if you don't feel like you have any friends, even if you feel like all your neighbors hate you, <laughs> at least make sure they know who you are. <laughs> and I don't think my neighbors particularly like me, but they like the pets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So they well, the really cool. I see. Okay. They can come yeah. over for coffee or something. I see. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we, we set up play dates between the pets and our neighbor's pets. And, and we, you know, okay. we, we bought a lot of goodwill there. That's, that's really important. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's talk some current events as well. Rafti, you had a really interesting one. Um, do tell. You're talking about the Excel thing? Yes, yes. <laughs> so um, a security nightmare, I'd say. Um, Excel got more powerful. They now allow Python code inside Excel documents. What's Python, um, Rafti? Python is a programming language, particularly popular with people who start to code or are like coding it's a, like it's a scripting language it's, it's not unlike it basic it's like okay. you know, in the old days we would learn basic that was our entree into programming because it's an easy scripting language it, it is easy that is true it's not very performant but of course like it is a it is proper programming language you can actually yeah. wreak some havoc i don't know how well it is contained have not read up on that too much but i already saw a couple of like um reputable outlets um, saying, well, you need to be extra careful on opening Excel sheets now. And we all knew this. I mean, can, can, I, all ask, knew that. can yeah. I ask what's Python used? Like Ruby's often used for web. What's what's Python yeah. often used for? You can use it for web as well, but I think it's more of like, it is for mathematicians. It is for people who are like doing um, easy, as Matt was saying, scripted, um, 
like programming tasks. So okay. Um, okay. when you don't want to repeat something too much, and um, if you and I feel like um, Python is easier than Visual Basic. Like Visual Basic is that Microsoft programming language, which Excel already like could launch scripts in. That's, that's um, what I was going to bring up is that Excel has has supported programming languages for a very long time in the form of Visual yeah. Basic. And, and but it always we, asks you in advance. Haven't mm, we sorry. been teaching people for 30 years to turn off macros? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, no, I yeah, mean seriously, by default, those things should not be. I mean, you can use a script mm -hmm. if you have a distinct purpose for it, yeah. but it's not something we want activated by default because yeah. why? Why Why don't we want that shit in there? Well, it can yeah, be because you don't understand or don't know yeah. about. And attackers can use it as another tool doing something beyond what you think it is. If they infect you with some sort of macro-based virus, your app itself can become the, the virus, can become the, the malware, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I have to ask, <laughs> didn't anyone say, um, hey, uh, adding another feature to this is is gonna make the attack surface much larger. Oh, Rafi just threw up his hands. For those who can't see the visual here, uh, Matt, Matt, tell us the uh, the end state of all software. Oh, the uh, Zawinski's law. Uh, all programs will expand until they can read email. <laughs> Uh, so basically, and this is a, a law that was created in the in the 1990s when email was the end all be all. So like it was back in the days when every program kept bloating and adding features until it could read email. And then uh, once it did that, it had reached its final form. Thankfully, Excel cannot read email yet, but at some point in the future, especially but it Python, can do, but it can do mail merge. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. And it, and it can, and you can launch email. Mm -hmm. uh, through Outlook from Excel. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're all they're all married together yeah. in a very incestuous hooks. little cluster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so for those for those who don't really grasp the 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 anxiety that we're feeling here, Rafti, what would you see as the downside of adding Python to Excel? The downside? Yeah, of course, yeah. like that it's just the I feel like not just the attack surface, but also, of course, the havoc it could um, sort of like start can is, I think, accelerated. I don't know how well it can be or will be contained. And and running such Visual Basic is much more under control of Microsoft. It is Microsoft's own programming language, so they can't have much more control over what it can do. And Python, they don't have control over. Um, they can, of course, say what commands can, or I, I hope they restrict <laughs> and can restrict what commands can be done through it and stuff like that, what access it can have. They have at least control over Microsoft Excel in itself. Um, but who knows um, where this is going and yeah. No, it's it's just like in our landscape where more and more stuff um, gets less and less secure. It's now, exactly fair, a nightmare. It, 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 clearly, there there was some reasoning behind putting Python in Excel, and I assume that that's because people use Excel more and more often for bigger and bigger tasks, and so they're extending the program to make it more useful. So there there had to be some business case in Microsoft's side saying. Okay, people are asking for this. There's a there's clearly a benefit for some subset of our users. Let's turn on Python uh, accessibility in it. So I, I, I'm sure there's a reason. 
there's there's always this phrase that echoes to me whenever anyone I imagine this being said in the design room as as this is going on. And the phrase is, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> Maybe the, the the answer to that is I feel like um, most mathematicians I know know Python. They mm -hmm. don't know Visual Basic. Mm -hmm. So for them, it's much easier to code something in Python. Sure and yeah. qu quicker and everything and to, for them to have sort of like a visual database and have the tasks it makes it easier to to work with um i'd say it's the programming language then though and it's the data in a very like user-friendly touchy-feely sort of situation because like an, a database when it's just like some some like proper database i don't know which one they would use but they have you you have programs where you can open them up but it's less user-friendly i'd say than excel you know yeah like yeah. yeah you're talking about like an sql database or something for instance where, or yeah, I, yeah i was looking and, and excel has the ubiquity right i mean it, it's something that we've all touched at some point so so the familiarity is nice and, and again I, I think we can all see use cases for it it's mm -hmm. just, it's just we hope they really put the governors in there. We really hope so. Uh, let's see. Let's see how this goes, shall we? Um, um, all right. Yeah. I got one more current event, uh, sort of uh, tangentially here. Rafti, you're probably the only person on this cast who's heard this term before, uh, at least until I went looking for it. Uh, the term um, politically exposed person. Oh, have yeah. Heard this? Oh, see, you yeah. have heard this term. What is a politically exposed person, Rafti? I, I have to answer that question every time when I do anything like bank related or like when I want to open a new account or something. You Rafti, have to ask no. the question. They ask you if you're a PEP. Yeah. They ask you yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So yeah. tell, do tell. What is this? Is, Americans you, have never heard of this, by the way. Are you running for office, Rafi? Are you? Are, no, are, I'm, are not, the... I'm not. But if it would be, they have to ask, as far as I can tell. And then you get extra protection. Um, like then your oh. account, then it's harder to get into your account. It's harder to get stuff out of your account. It's harder to do basically anything. Um, I, I'm not sure. Um, I think they don't charge $60 extra per month for this service, like others do for other basic stuff. <laughs> email. But, um, and I do like that for me, for instance, as a business owner, for me, when I want to sort of like do stuff with my phone carrier, I need to show ID every time. When I get, when I want a new SIM card, I need to show my ID. And I feel like, so I'm in an elevated state already, but I'm not a PP yet. So politically exposed person. Um, so, so what because, is? I'm sorry. So uh, go ahead and define it for us. We again, we haven't, we haven't. Really I have no. It. I'm not sure what the definition for is for okay. it. Is. All right. Well, uh, I, I I'm can, just I as far as I, I looked it okay, up. Okay. Okay. All, right. <laughs> All right. So a PEP, as Rafi was implying here, is someone who maybe have more influence on um, public life. They may be more sensitive or at risk to coercion or subversion, and therefore may be targeted uh, or may be exercising some uh, capability that the rest of us as simple citizens do not have. Now, this is very much a European or non-US approach. Um, it is This is prominent in Europe and Australia and a few other places. There are different brands of PEPs. There are foreign PEPs, which are people who are either um, 
resident aliens in the country where they are, or they could be citizens in that country, but working for a foreign power, either a foreign government or a foreign company to the place where they are. So for instance, if Rafti got hired by uh, Johnson and Johnson from the US, Rafti may become a PEP in Austria. And therefore that's a different kind of thing. Then there's domestic PEPs, which are people who have some political sensitivity within the jurisdiction where they are. For And Matt, you were joking about it. If Rafti runs for parliament or whatever Austria has, or prime minister or king, I, I don't know how Austria, then he would become a PEP. I don't know if it gets down to the level of uh, mailman or dog catcher or, or you know, school <laughs> board. But all of those things that, that may have some political influence, he would become a domestic PEP. Then there's a third category, and these are people who work for who aren't politicians themselves, but do work for state-run organizations. So, for instance, if there's a certain utility or franchise that's being run by the government in that jurisdiction, like say the power company or the rail lines or whatever it is where you live, then you could, as an executive of that company, become a PEP because you're kind of married to the, the governmental enterprise. So, Rafti, do you have any? You, you mentioned what PEPs have to go through. Um, you have more authentication, you have more um, security and monitoring placed into your accounts, right? Uh, and, and can you guess what the purpose of this is or, or the intent? More security, like to having that more to protected. Um, good question. So, like, I if you're being blackmailed because someone's got a, a sex tape of you, and they're saying we're going to release this unless you give us ten thousand euros, and you go, you so you go to your bank and you say, hey, I need to withdraw ten thousand euros, and they go, <laughs> oh wait a second, are you a PEP? And you say, uh, uh, no. sure not. <laughs> <laughs> Just hand over yes. the money. <laughs> um, yes, for that, for the blackmail, and for the opposite, the bribery. Mm. If you're using the this, funds, in your, yeah, yeah, yeah. This um, I more, I more understand. Not sure about the 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 blackmail. Really, you think they they block you from from paying out for blackmail? I have no clue. So, Never now the, U, <laughs> the U.S. doesn't have these kinds of laws but they have creepier laws in my opinion. And I'm going to, I'm going to get to those in a second because of exactly what Matt just said. Um, there was, you know what, let's just go ahead and dress it now while it's still fresh in my mind. We do have a law here in the U S uh, about know your customer. And uh, the IRS has made regulations that anyone who moves amounts of 10,000 or more triggers a reporting incident the bank will report to the irs the, the that's our tax uh entity uh that this transaction has taken place now it gets creepier than that if there's another law that says if you withdraw money from your own account in amounts less than ten thousand that look like you're trying to avoid the ten thousand dollar threshold <laughs> yep that's also a felony Yep. And and one of the people uh, well, well, now, is it a felony or it, it just it's a felony. It's, 
It's, it's a felony. It's a federal oh. offense. Okay. And the reason I know this is uh, there was a famous case, and I forget who the pedophile was, um, but it was uh, somebody who was either a pol- who was either a politician or uh, um, an administrator at a university or something like that had molested a child twenty years prior. And when that child came of age, that child blackmailed this person. And this person withdrew amounts of like $7,500, $8,000 to pay the blackmailing victim. I'm sorry, his victim who ended up blackmailing him um, years later. And the pedophile ended up being convicted of felonies for violating the withdrawal laws, not for actually harming the, the child who is now an adult. Um, <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember if the adult who was a victim of pedophilia and ended up being a blackmail. I don't, I don't remember if that person got prosecuted for blackmail, but Mm. um, that was a thing that was triggered because of the amounts that were repeatedly withdrawn. Yeah. Um, So how often is it okay in the U S to withdraw like 7,500? They don't tell you, (laughs) they don't tell you what their algorithm is. They They just keep looking. I see. (laughs) And they're just like, Oh, this is a huge amount. Better watch Uh, that. Although the money, (laughs) <laughs> and there have been efforts, I, I think, recently, um, I think one of the recent laws that got passed this year or last uh, dropped the amount to $600 because the, because certain members of Congress were um, of the belief that a lot of electronic payments, such as Venmo and PayPal and, and like that, were being were being used for commerce off the books in untaxable um, ways Mm. to pay for services. And they want to start collecting taxes on all of these gray market providers. So they lowered the amount to 600 that now becomes reportable. Yay. (laughs) Don't you feel safe? All right. So anyway, anyway, the reason use use Monero people use Monero. (laughs) The reason I wanted to bring up PEP was because of a current event. Um, there was evidently a politician in, I want to say the UK, but somewhere somewhere in that European milieu um, that recently got fired from his bank. Bank account closed, kicked out, can't do banking anymore. And um, the rationale uh, from this person's bank was that um, they didn't want to do business with him anymore because they don't like his political views. And turns out this person is a PEP by definition because they are uh, involved in politics. And therefore, the bank, which is chartered by the UK government, cannot make arbitrary choices based on whether they like your politics or they don't. Um, and I found this very interesting for, for many, many reasons, um, because we've seen similar activity surrounding what's been deemed misinformation or political protesting. The favored flavor of politics gets rewarded while the disfavored gets stifled. And we've seen this in the U.S. in a different form called Operations Choke Point 1 and 2, where banks and financial enterprises and credit cards have been pressured by the U.S. government to suspend or discontinue services to people engaged in sex work, uh, pornographers, OnlyFans producers, and so forth. Um, 
So again, disfavored activity results in undue pressure. My question becomes, uh, in terms of availability, is it good to debank someone whose views we don't like? Now, again, I'm not familiar with this actual person's views because I don't follow UK politics and I don't care. But let's say the person was a Nazi. Should we kick them out of the banking system? And is that good and right and smart? What do you all think? It always gets back to who is making the determination, whose opinion counts. <laughs> on what's good and what's bad for us to do business with. Uh, I can make business decisions for my business because I'm the only person that gets to make those decisions. But if you're a big conglomerate that has multiple leaders and managers and supervisors, you're going to have conflict in who thinks one way and who thinks another way. Outstanding. Uh, Rafi, how do you feel? Mm, I'm always of the mind, like my <clears throat> my electricity utility canceled me last year. And I was why, just why? because the prices, the prices in Europe exploded and they were like, we don't want to, you have a too low contract. We don't want you anymore. And wait, wait, I had to your consumption, the, your consumption was too consumption low. Was so normal. No, my, my price, my, the contract I had, had a too low price for them and energy prices roared and soared very high. And so they said, well, we cannot, we don't want your, to pay, like provide you electricity for that amount, whatever. But back then I did not complain about it because my mind is like, I don't have like there it's in their right to, to delete my contract. And if my bank would do the same, I'm mad as hell. I don't like it, but I, I understand. I want to deny service to people who want me as a service provider. And I would, I want the capability to say no. So of course I'm have to be okay with others denying me their service for me. And I'm like, I'm, I'm okay with that. I have to ask, Rafi, are there multiple utility services that you can engage? I mean, is, yes, are there? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. okay. All so, right. So there's a marketplace. I have a, I have a plethora of people. I, I had to I had to pick a very high price, and it was at a very inconvenient time. But I switched this year again, and I'm pay, I'm fine. Of course, like it, I took a financial hit from it, but for, from all of this, and and with bank, it's not fun, and. They, they, I think, should be forbidden, and I should be able to to sue them if they would withhold funds from me and stuff like that. But if they have sort of like an, a period where you can move banks and stuff like that, or give you everything in cash, like I don't, I, I, I'm like I don't like it, uh, and I like that then this person can call them out. Um, but if a bank doesn't want me, I should be able to pick another. And I, for, what, I hope, for whatever reason, yeah. if they don't like you for whatever reason. Yeah, um, I feel that's, that should be okay. And if, if, um, and I feel like if they start doing this more often, nobody will bank with them. Everybody will go. And then there's a bank run and we saw what, what happens when a bank run happens. They don't have the money and they go like bankrupt very fast, you know, not cool for all the other people in the bank, whatever. It ha all has consequences. But I feel like if you put in your terms of service that you can cancel a person on that day without a period or something like without notice, um, I feel like, th and they start canceling contracts, people will, will run and they don't want I that either. Listen to Rafti being a libertarian free marketeer. I, I, I'm kind <laughs> of impressed, Rafti. Rock and roll. 
Um, I, I just have to ask a quick question about about your the contract was like month to month or annually. So at the end of the contract period, they say we're not going to renew. They didn't just cancel the contract right in the middle of provision, did they? No, I had a three month cancellation period. Okay, okay, and okay. I was the contract boss for a year, and then I just kept it running, and I did not um bind myself for another year because I, I wanted to be able to go and be flexible and and pick and choose different providers and so this was my my right and it's their right and both had a three month um like notice period and all as well I, and right. i and i like that go that, back to them <laughs> that is my that's my usual go-to in all of these situations i should be able to as an entity do business or not do business with anyone i choose I, I'm right there with you. Up into the point um, where there aren't alternatives or there's an externality that limits my choice to find an alternative. Yes. Like yep. with Operation Choke Point, the government just didn't go to one bank and say, get rid of the, the OnlyFans producers. They went to all the banks and said, don't give accounts to OnlyFans producers, which to me is still okay if I'm allowed to start a bank specifically for porn producers. Mm -hmm. Un unfortunately, at least in the US, and I'm, I'm pretty certain it's true in Europe, if I wanna start a financial institution, I have to get a license from the government and the government becomes my regulator and they can yank my charter if they choose. And in doing so, it gives an undue influence to the government who says who I can and cannot do business with. So I agree with you. Private entities should be able to say who they want to do business with. But the minute you intrude on allowing government to have some say, you have to limit the, the distinction of who and who cannot use that service. Here in the U.S., we don't have a variety of power utilities usually. Matt, do you... Lexington, you nope. got one, right? We got one. Yep. You we got, got one, one water, one sewer, one, one power. And, and that's the same here. Uh, and it's in most of the, I've lived in many different states and many different regions of the U.S. And that's usually the case. Um, it's an exception to find otherwise. And therefore, okay. if, that, if there's an artificial monopoly, then no, you got to give electricity to the Nazis. I, I don't like that. I don't like being on the same grid as Nazis, but, but you know what? They're human beings, and as much as I dislike <laughs> their their view, they, they need to have refrigeration and air conditioning. Um, H.L. Mencken, a very, very famous historical uh, journalist um, and writer from way back, I'm going to paraphrase, said, you know, part of, the, part of the problem with freedom is that you often find yourself defending scoundrels. Mm -hmm. Because when someone comes up with an oppressive policy, the first group they try to oppress is the scoundrel. And nobody has any problem with that. But once the oppressor learns they can go after the scoundrels, they start broadening out to the rest of us. Um, so yeah, I, I don't like Nazis, but they need to be able to do some banking. <laughs> That's just, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and get power. No, I understand. No. It, just, uh, it just is and that, that i think we just sucks. found a show title for this episode <laughs> i don't like nazis <laughs> but <laughs> i don't know uh, okay all right well anyway um anything else any other current events y'all want to jump into anything uh you want to cover some updates or so forth uh, maybe another current event just for people. Uh, maybe you've saw this already. 
and um rar files dot rar files have also been like um there's some some hacks through that so be extra careful downloading those opening those i saw this that is, this is the couple, compression format yes, like zip. dot r a r yes. yeah okay exactly exactly uh, very current like i think i saw yesterday or the day before so this week when this podcast comes out, um, still an issue, still a topic. And um, update your virus scanner if you use one. I saw today that uh, Clam AV on Linux as well got the the update for .rar files. So yeah, be careful. So, so I, I, I got to ask. Uh, Rob, exe. <laughs> yeah, XS, I, uh, XLS. I, yeah. I got I got to ask because because uh, I'm not sure how much details you know about this. I I don't know anything. It's the first time hearing of it. What okay. are these are these RAR files being used as the delivery mechanism for yes. malware? Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and during and the open during the the decompression process, code is being executed that um, is malicious. Yeah. That makes sense because you kind of have to execute something to yes. expand the file, right? And now you're saying that once it's in the runtime environment, it can do other things, install a backdoor, run an executable. Okay. Yeah. All right. Switch yeah, not, yeah, not yeah, not just it being like the stuff that's in there, the the thing itself while it's being unpacked. So don't open, just don't look at, just don't open it. <laughs> it, it. It would be as if someone poisoned the ribbon on the gift wrapping. So even exactly. before you open the box, even before you open the package, you know you, you don't know that there's a bomb inside the package, but it's the it's the outside, it's the wrapping that's attacking you, right? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. All right. Interesting, interesting. Well, thank you for that, Rafti. Uh, you've just scared the shit out of me. Um, yeah. <laughs> See, that is just just so everybody knows. That's the reason why I open emails, especially with attachments, even like any attachments in a virtual machine. <laughs> and of course, I'm I'm extra scared because I'm getting a lot of email from people I don't know, and I want to open the the things anyway. So the and you're kind of a, you're kind of a prime target in our in our industry. Um, people who like to make a name for themselves among that community would go after the providers who say they are secure, so that they can kind of get some <laughs> bragging rights. I mean, that that is a true thing, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And plus, if we see an, an email blast come out from Rafti's email and all the headers line up and show that it, it actually came from his account, you're going to trust that it was Rafti that sent it. And if it's something malicious, I'm I, I, I'm, I'm much more inclined to open it because I know Rafti or, or I've, I've heard of Rafti or, or people in his company. So, uh, yeah, you're always looking for that, uh, 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 the bona fides of someone so that uh, you can appear to be more more benevolent than you actually are. Absolutely. The, the attackers using transit of trust. Mm -hmm. We trust Rafti. Rafti's infected. Therefore, we trust the infection when we yep. shouldn't. Right. Right. Um, and for I just want to go back on what he said. For those less technically inclined, what Rafti was saying is if you open an infected attachment or you download some malware or, or anything, if you do it inside a virtual machine, that is uh, a piece of software that simulates your hardware uh, on your device, um, then the virtual machine can be constrained even if it becomes infected. You can just kill the virtual machine without the infection spreading to the underlying hardware on your device, uh, which is a sophisticated and smart way to go about it. We, we, it's, a, it's a form of sandboxing, yeah. and, and we, we really like that. Good call, Rafti. And Very in fact, good. the term we often call it is detonating in a sandbox. 
So it's it's akin to taking something you don't know if it's explosive or not, putting it out in the desert and seeing if it blows up. Yeah, not a sandbox frequented by children. You you know, <laughs> yeah. with toy trucks. It's not a playground sandcastles. sandbox. No, nor cats. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very good. Very good. All right. Well, thank you for that, Rafi. All right. Very good. Uh, Matt, you got anything else? Nothing in particular, other than I just want to say how much I hate Japan these days. Um, seeing a huge uptick in malicious emails, not with viruses or RAR files or anything like that, but Japan has somehow become a hotbed of financial uh, emails related to wire transfers, ACHs. Social engineering? Yes. Phishing stuff? Yes. I don't know why it's all coming out of Japan, <laughs> but I have now had two clients uh, have, have significant issues. Um, one was the recipient of an, e an email from Japan. The other uh, had Japan actually attempting to get into uh, one of their inboxes uh, to send wire transfer information to uh, clients of theirs. Anyways, it's all just a big headache. And, you know, we, we usually have our big three, you know, Iran, North Korea, Russia, as who we, we, we look at a lot when we're talking about geo-blocking or saying, you know, automatically throw away any emails from these types of countries. Japan's a, a modern first world country, but their hacker scene has apparently gotten out of control. Maybe it's all Yakuza, mafia stuff. I don't know. Either way, every time I see an, an email nowadays coming up in one of my alert things, nine times out of 10, for some reason, it ends in .jp. And huh. it's, it's driving me nuts, and I don't know why. I don't know that's why. That's a novelty. That, that, that is new. I hadn't heard that before. So if anybody's got any insight on as to what's going on in Japan and why they're sending everybody <laughs> emails to to change ach transfer information or send wire transfers to accounts that they own i don't know anyway thank you that's that's good knowledge to know let's spread that and see yeah. <laughs> uh, uh how ubiquitous that is among the industry mini rant um, yeah if if anyone has any feedback about this or any other topic please uh get in touch with us we're, we're all on linkedin yep. um, you can reach uh, me by email you can reach the show via the website um, please let us know what you're thinking and uh, what you're seeing from your side too. And if you're a hacker in Japan who has been sending emails requesting wire transfers, please send us an email. Not with that information, <laughs> but we want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, oh, but yeah, Absolutely. We'd be, I'd be very interested to have somebody like that. I, I'd like to know their response rate. And again, it's it's not. I'm not trying to set up a sting to catch anybody. <laughs> We're not a law enforcement entity. Um, I'm just really curious about the industry itself, what your success rate is, um, what targets you go after, what you find viable, what seems to work, what doesn't. Uh, it's very interesting uh, knowledge uh, for us and for our audience, I think. Yeah. Um, all right. Very good. Very good. Um, thank you all again. Uh, until next time, I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And I'm Raphael Fiedler. Join us again for another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec. Hey there, listener. Matt here. If you like listening to Ben, Robin, Rofty, Joey, or myself, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash securitized. Interested in training for CISSP, CCSP, CISM, SSCP, CCSK, boy, that's a lot of letters, or other InfoSec certifications? Go to Ben's website for all his training programs at wannabeacissp.com. That's spelled W-A-N-N-A-B-E-A-C-I-S-S-P.com. 
We are on Discord. Engage with us by searching for the channel Wannabea CISSP. Feedback or questions on what we discuss? Send a good old-fashioned email to ben at benmaliso.com. You may hear a shout-out or your feedback on a future show. We're all working professionals in the InfoSec industry, so feel free to link up with us on LinkedIn. Support Rofty's company and test drive their free firewall software called Portmaster, downloadable at their website, safing.io, spelled S-A-F-I-N-G dot I-O. Support Joey's company, Blue Edge Networks, at blueedgenetworks.com, and listen to Joey's podcast called Topic of Choice at topicofchoice.com. Join us on Reddit at slash r slash ssoi underscore fans. All opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and for entertainment purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our companies, affiliates, employers, guests, or even each other. No advice given here should be followed without consulting with a professional for any specific InfoSec situation you may experience.